0: I want us to turn to Ephesians 6 and let's again look at what the scripture says about the warfare that is going on among us and in our country and in this church even right now. We've been in Ephesians 6 since 2022 has begun, and we've been giving special attention to this section that talks about spiritual warfare and calls us to stand. So, I want us to read the big picture again. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open Ephesians 6. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 by way of review and then run a quick review through what we've done over the recent weeks. If you have a message memo, you may look at that and go, whoa, we got a lot of stuff to cover this morning. But a lot of it's a quick review. But let's start with the scripture. What's the scripture say about what we don't see happening, but really is happening? Ephesians 6, verse 11 says, To believers, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against, here's our enemy, the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, like it's happening there. Our struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So that's what we've looked at thus far. Quick way of review. As children of God, we have an enemy. He is as real as he is unseen. That's what makes it challenging. Because we don't see it, because we don't hear it, it doesn't feel real. But you have an enemy who wants to destroy you, who wants to destroy your marriage, who wants to destroy your family, and an enemy who wants to destroy the church. Because we don't see it, it doesn't feel real. It's real. We can see the consequences. A church where many marriages are broken. A church where families are divided and broken. A church where even though there are believers in Jesus, addictions are ruling and ruining lives. That, that's, that's all evidence that we have an enemy who is attempting to destroy us. He is real. His attack will always be lies. He is, the scripture says, the father of lies. When he is tempting, he's lying. When he's deceiving, he's lying. When he's accusing, he is lying. He brings destruction In our lives, in our marriages, in our church, in our families, by his lies. His goal, he cannot reclaim your soul. But his goal is to render you useless and fruitless as children of God. So that you'll survive. And and when you die, if you've trusted in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. But while on this planet, useless and fruitless in your participation in the kingdom of God. That's what he wants to do, to deceive you, to tempt, to tempt you, to accuse you, to distract you, so that you will not be instruments of God. So what do we do? Well, we stand, the scripture says, firm against it by putting on the armor of God, beginning with girding our loins, which simply means being ready, being ready for attack, being ready to advance. It's just not that we are under attack. It's that we are under attack so that we'll stand against it and we'll be able to advance. It's about readiness. And we stand firm by putting on the imputed irremovable, perfect breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus. Our hope and our greatest defense is the righteousness of Jesus. Our righteousness, the scripture says, filthy rags will never protect us. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And we put on the gospel cleats of grace so that it'll be knocked down by guilt But instead, advance the kingdom of God as ambassadors given the ministry of reconciliation. Guilt is one of his primary tactics of his lies. So that we are useless and fruitless. But we are to be ambassadors. We are to take the gospel as we have been rescued. We are rescuers. And we take the shield of faith, which we block the enemy's lies intended to deceive the individual And intended to divide the community of faith. So our shield is our faith. He doesn't miss. He has unlimited arrows that he will continually shoot at you. Lies and you block them by your faith. If you don't block them, he won't miss. He will deceive you. He will tempt you. He will accuse you. That's all review. All right. For new this morning, verse 17. And take... The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we're going to look at the helmet and the sword as our equipment for standing firm. First, the helmet of our salvation. Now, again, uh, imagine the picture putting on your helmet. You wouldn't go to war without putting your helmet on. And the helmet is what? It's our salvation. Putting on the helmet of our salvation. So there are many ways we could look at our salvation together this morning. But I want us to consider our salvation from this perspective. First, what has been done for us? How have we been saved? Second, how are we being saved? And then third, how will we be saved? Because our salvation, there's something past, there's something present, there is something future that will protect us. So first, what has been done? We have been saved, this is past, we have been saved through faith in Jesus from the penalty of sin. We've sinned and we deserve the wrath of God We deserve the judgment of God. We're under condemnation, but that penalty we've been saved from. We have been, the scripture says, forgiven. We have been reconciled. That is, there was a brokenness. We were made to be one with God that had been broken by sin. Because he forgave us our sin, then he reconciled us to himself. He made us one with him. We have been adopted by God. We were not children of God, but now we are children of God. We went from enemies to children. And as he then adopted us, the scripture says he sealed us. He guaranteed that as we are children, we will never be removed from the family. This is why as much as our enemy hates us and hates the church, he cannot reclaim us. He can only render us useless and fruitless. Why? Because we have been sealed as adopted ones by the Holy Spirit. All right. Now, if we're going to put on... The helmet of our salvation, we need to know why do we believe these things. So I want to I encourage you to, under each of these words, write a reference. Under forgiven, I want you to write Colossians 2, 13 and 14, because this is how you put on the helmet of your salvation. You will remember each day he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You cannot put this helmet of salvation on that you do not know So I'm going to give you a lot of scripture so that you, as the enemy comes against you and seeks to render you useless by his attacking lies, you'll be able to know. No, I have been forgiven by Christ. Colossians 2.13, under reconciled, right? Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? So we are made one with him. Under adopted, right? Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law to redeem those, to buy back those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were sons of the liar but because of Christ who forgave us and reconciled us and now has adopted us. We have gone from worst dad ever to best dad ever. Adopted, Galatians chapter four. And under sealed right, Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. When I first got this bottle of water, it was sealed. Not anymore. If you saw uh, a, a bottle of water not sealed, you probably it wasn't yours, you probably wouldn't drink it. Especially with the way I sound right now, right? You would go, uh, no, 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 no. I'll take. Here's the deal. They sealed this bottle of water in a manner that I could unseal it. When you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, no one can break the seal. You can't give it to somebody stronger and go, hey, can you break the seal? That is the point of why the scripture says, once in the Father's hand, can't be taken out. No one can break. The enemy cannot break the seal that the Holy Spirit has placed on the life of a believer. You are, have been have been, have been. This is the finished work of Jesus. You have been, have you trusted in him, forgiven. Have you put on the helmet of your salvation that you know I'm forgiven, reconciled, adopted, and sealed? See, I didn't know that. So as a teenager, what did I do every day, every Sunday in church? Jesus, I've been horrible last week. Please come back into my life. I'm sure you left. It was my limited understanding of the gospel. I had to keep asking Jesus back, quote, into my heart. Why? Because I didn't know I was forgiven and reconciled and adopted, never to be removed from his family. If you don't know that, if you don't put on the helmet of your salvation, you're going to get a head wound that's going to make you useless and fruitless. the kingdom of God. But it's not just having what he has done. It's what he is doing. We are being saved. We have been saved and we are being saved. We are being saved from the power of sin. The penalty of sin has no power over us now. And we are being saved from the power of sin. In other words, I used to be a slave to sin, but now I am no longer a slave to sin. I was a slave to sin, but when I became a child of God, that slavery was broken. Do I still sin? Yes. Do you still sin? Y- yeah, yeah. One very honest person. Yes. Or maybe you were speaking for somebody else. <clears throat> yes. We all still sin, but we no longer have to. That's slavery has been broken. Under that, right, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. In other words, when he died, when we placed faith in him, we died with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm not perfect, but I'm not enslaved. And he is, because that slavery has been broken, what's he making us like? We're being transformed, meaning we're being changed. How? Yeah, we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus. Can I have your eyes for a moment? If you have been born again, if you have placed faith, in Jesus, admitted your sin, believe that Christ paid your penalty and received that free gift. He will change you. God changes His children. You might want to write under that second Corinthians 3:18. And we all, we who have trusted in Jesus, we all with unveiled face. What's that mean? It means there used to be a veil between man and God, the presence of God and the people of God. There was a veil. But what happened when Christ was crucified? You remember what it says historically happened? The veil that separated the presence of God from the people of God in the temple was torn from top to bottom So that the presence of God would no longer be separated from the people of God. That we could live before God in his presence with an unveiled face. For what purpose? This. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from, and this is important, one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. He is the one who is changing us. But have you noticed, it doesn't happen overnight. How's that happen? What's it say? One degree at a time. But we are being transformed if we're children of God. Why? Because not only has he saved us, he is saving us. He is saving us. us. The the helmet that you're putting on is not just a helmet to protect you from the sin of your past. The helmet that you are putting on is to protect you from the power of sin in the presence. The helmet that you're putting on is the helmet that you are being changed into the image of Jesus. More and more, one degree of glory to another. More and more, little by little, your spouse is intended to experience Jesus through you little bit more and more. Your kids, your coworkers. a little bit more and more. Because of the Spirit of God that has sealed you and is working in you, the presence of God no longer isolated, but the veil been torn with an unveiled face, you are growing into be more and more like Jesus. your
1: helmet
0: on. To know that the Spirit of God is changing you. It's not only what he has done, what he is doing, but third, what he will do. We will be saved from the presence of sin. We have been saved from the penalty of we are being saved from the power, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. In other words, there will be a time in our future where all that sin has wreaked in havoc and ruined in our life and in this world will no longer be present. We will gain, in the future as believers, a new body. And what will be dramatically different about that body versus this body is this body, though saved from the power of sin, still has a sin nature. That body will not have a sin nature. Yeah. What a joy that will be. First Corinthians 15. So it is, maybe write this down right there. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, in other words, what we started with, a perishable body, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There will be a time which we look forward to where this body, which is decaying, will be replaced with a body that will never decay, and it will never decay because it will not be under the influence of sin. There's a harsh reality that sometimes we forget is this. Sin always ruins. This is why when we... Believe the lie that we can sin in secret and, and nobody will know. That we can sin and it won't impact anybody else. That's one of the most prevalent lies of our day. Hey, it's my life. It's your life. You can do what you want. Guess what? No one gets to do what they want and their ripple effect not impact others. And when we sin... When I, I don't need to keep it theoretical. When I sin, it doesn't just impact me. When I sin, it impacts those around me. We live in community. God's made us for community. So I can't believe the lie that sin is just my little world. We're going to be given a spiritual body without a sin nature. And because of that, that sin nature will not impact others as well. And not only will it not have a sin nature, we will be saved from the presence of sin because we'll be free from all the consequences of sin. The nature no longer present and the consequences there that come with sin no longer present as well. The Apostle John, looking toward that day, the future, what we will be saved from sees this. He says, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. Why? Because that's a result of sin or mourning, a result of sin or crying, a result of sin or pain, a result of sin. None of that will be true because the first things have passed away. This is why, friends, we do not fear death. We need not fear death. Maybe you do. You need not. Why? Because death has lost its sting. We not only have been saved from the penalty of sin, are being saved from the power of sin, but we will be saved from the presence of sin. It is without exception and better than I can have words to describe. But the life after this life will be infinitely better. And if you don't put on the helmet of your salvation, you're going to despair about the hard things in this life. And you're going to despair about death. You're going to despair about decay. When we have those things, we need to put on the helmet of salvation. See, I'm giving you real, real moments in your life where I know you think and you despair or you live in fear. And I'm going, put on your helmet of salvation that tells you there is no reason to fear. I not only have been saved, I will be saved. There will be a life for me in Christ that will be completely free of everything that has made this world hard. As Christians, believers in Jesus, we need to learn to die in faith, in confidence, with our helmet on. Because it's coming. Have you noticed? You're not going to escape the statistics they like to say are what? One in one die. It's coming. Are you ready? The way you are ready for that is you put your helmet of salvation on. Now, don't say it out loud, but what do you think about the person who gets on their motorcycle and gets on 295 and runs 85, 90 miles an hour without their helmet on? Uh, Don't say it out loud because that person might be sitting beside you. (coughs) But I know what thoughts I have as they blow by me. That's a lot, lot less than when you and I get up each day and go into life without putting the truth of our salvation on. Can I I acknowledge the first part of this message did not take me long to prepare. Lots of messages take me long to prepare. Not this one. Why? Uh, Because by God's grace, I put the helmet of salvation. What I know about what has been, is, and will be true on my head a jillion times. And that's not because of my occupation. That's because of who I am in Christ. And I want to encourage you. I gave you all those scriptures for a very simple reason that you'd put them on. You would know. You would know off the top of your head, no pun intended, that you would know off the top of your head your salvation, past, present, and future. It will protect you. Because there's a, an enemy who wants your head, and he'll get it without your helmet. On, know your salvation past. Know it present. Know it future. My my limited understanding when I first trusted in Jesus was this: Jesus is going to get me out of hell and into heaven. Is that true? Yeah. And for a, a young person, that was like sweet. But I had no idea how much more there was to my salvation. And my lack of knowing my salvation calls me years of living in useless, fruitless days as a child of God. And it may be that that's what's true for you. You are living useless days because you don't know your salvation. Past, forgiven, present, delivered from the power of sin, future, It's all going to go, and it's going to only be good. So I want us to take together the reminder that Jesus said that we would take continually the reminder of Jesus and our salvation. If you didn't get elements, if you don't know what these are, if you don't have one, go ahead and put your hand up. I see someone in the back there. Just put your hand up over north as well. The first clear top comes off, that reveals the little wafer, and then the foil comes off for the cup. Now, if you're thinking, wow, we're done early, there were two things in the verse, so uh, relax. This, Jesus said, is to remind you of his body. His body, pierced and broken, nailed to a cross, so that you and I, Through faith in him, not by taking these elements, but through faith in him, we would be forgiven. He was broken so you could be healed. And this juice is a reminder that Jesus never, ever, ever had a sinful thought, attitude, or action, he was perfect but he died and he shed his blood to pay the penalty for you and for your guilt to be removed he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God forgiven set free made his child so we take this as a reminder, in some as we do this, we're putting our helmet on. We're remembering our salvation. So let me invite you to just bow where you are. And if, if you've never admitted your sin and believed in Jesus, if you thought, I'm just going to try and be a good enough person, You'll never be good enough. Only Jesus can save you. I want to invite you. Trust in Jesus to be your Savior. If you have, thank him for his forgiveness, adoption, and sealing. The scripture says we should examine ourselves as well. When we take this... We're to look at our lives as believers. Are you living as one set free from the power of sin? Whereas sin got a hold on you. Lust, alcohol, Jealousy. You're deeply bitter. These elements are a reminder you do not need to be enslaved by anything. You've been set free to be like Jesus. Look at, examine your life for a moment. Are you humble like Jesus was humble? Are you compassionate as Jesus is? Do you love your enemies like Jesus? Have you relinquished your will to the Father like Jesus? Whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, Lord Jesus. Jesus. And then it says, we take this proclaiming his death until he comes. In other words, we take this as a reminder of hope that we will one day be set free from this body of sin. We will only know good in his presence. Would you take with me now in deep gratitude for Jesus, our Savior. Let's stand together and let's joyfully declare who we are, new in Christ, putting on the helmet of our salvation.
1: Who am I that the highest king would welcome? I was lost, but he brought me in, oh, his love for me, oh, his love for me.
0: before you have a seat, let me just remind you, when we stand and declare gospel-rich songs like that, we're not just on, you know, karaoke. <laughs> we're putting on the helmet of our salvation. You understand that? You are reminding yourself of what Christ has done for you. When you put Scripture to memory, like some of the verses we just went through, when you put that to memory, you are putting on the helmet of your salvation, so that when that lies attack, you are protected, you will stand firm. So I just want to encourage you again, When we come to worship, engage. You don't have to sing the best you aren't singing the worst. You're putting on the helmet of your salvation, and you need it. Don't be the person who goes through life without their helmet. All right, let's continue in the passage. You can have a seat. Verse 17 says, uh, not only take up the helmet of your salvation, but to take the sword of the Spirit. And it says that the sword of the Spirit is what? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Again, I love what the Apostle Paul has done here. He's given real images for us to consider our salvation like a helmet, the gospel like our shoes that we put on to stand firm. It's quite likely that... Part of what God is doing in Paul's heart as he's writing Ephesians 6 is maybe you don't remember this, but he is actually in prison and he is chained to a Roman guard. So as he is considering his life in Christ, he's probably looking at this guy that he's chained to and he's like, wow, his sandals are like the gospel and his breastplate, that's like the righteousness of Christ. And that sword, that's like the word of God. Now, when you read sword in the English Bible, it simply says sword. But in Greek, it identifies either this broad sword or this smaller dagger-like sword. Probably would have been a little longer than this, 12 to 18 inches, but this is the closest I had. When Paul writes, and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, is he associating the word of God to this or to this? To this? Let me see your hands. To this, let me see your hands. (laughs) You have a bunch of chickens, about half of you voted. (sighs) You think, come on, the word of God. I like big Bibles. (laughs) But it's actually this. This, this is the sword he talks about when he speaks about the word of God. And uh, I think when you look at that, you go, maybe you know this verse from Hebrews. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, which is able to, like, and the picture is to do surgery. And that helps me. Because I'm not looking to this for surgery. (laughs) This is like, mmm, amputation, Wag it off. (laughs) This, this is that which the word of God, and get this, it's not that it's weak, that it's small. It's that the word of God pierces. And it can... Look at your thoughts and carve between thoughts that are pleasing to the Lord and thoughts that you think that are displeasing to the Lord. The Word of God can cut and divide the most narrow, specific things in our life. And what I love about this is this. The Word of God, as we look at it, it speaks very personally, very directly and very specifically to the issues in my heart, to the issues of my attitude. This is why I could teach the Word of God and hundreds of people could write back and go, wow, the Word spoke, and give something very specific, different than what maybe you would have written versus what you would have written because the Word of God has the capacity. It's powerful. It's sharp to speak directly and personally and to be highly effective. So what's it good for? Well, most commentators would say, of all the armor, this is the only offensive one, the only one by which we can attack with. But in saying that, I think it robs part of one of the major roles that the word of God plays in our life, and that is this, that the word of God protects us from evil. It's the word of God that Jesus used to protect from the lies of the enemy. So don't think of it only as a means by which we attack. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, protects us. From evil. A defining moment in my life years ago, elders gave me a couple days to go away for some private reflection and some vision planning. And early one morning, it would have been the 2nd of November, and so I opened up Proverbs 2. And I kind of wondered how I had missed Proverbs 2. is so powerful in my life. It, Proverbs 2 is a chapter I would commend to your reading on a regular basis for this reason. He says, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. You see, the scripture protects from the lies that ruin our lives. Proverbs 2 says, there's evil men who will tempt to take you down with them. And the word of God will protect you from them by revealing the foolishness, the emptiness, and the destruction of their ways. The word of God declares that there are, and this is not Just a shot at the women, the adulterous woman. What's the point there? There's the temptation to find life outside of your marriage. And because this has been absent from the life of the believer, that temptation is also often yielded to. And the destruction of sexual sin has ruined so many marriages within the church. Any person in here who thinks their marriage, if you're married, they think you are immune from the temptation to find life outside of it, you are in deep danger. The word of God is that which protects us from the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. The word of God is that which will protect the single person from thinking I can find life outside of sexual fidelity and sex within marriage. Just look. Look at what has happened in our world. Look at what happens among believers. And the scripture says the word will protect, which only tells me what? That we are not using the sword in our lives sufficiently. The word of God will protect us from the lie of life outside the word. How can this a young man, keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word. I wouldn't let you say out loud what you think about the guy riding down 295 on his motorcycle without a helmet. But what would you think about the soldier who goes to war? When there are no guns, there's only swords, and he goes to war without his sword. What would you call him? What would you call him? Dead. Yeah, we think foolish. No, that's too short-sighted. I call him dead. You get it, church? The church, the church that abandons the word of God is gonna die. It's dead. It's, oh, it's still a church, it's just useless and fruitless. It's our commitment to the word of God. And it's no different for you and I as a believer. When we abandon the word of God or we become casual with the word of God in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, then we are assuring we're on the pathway to death. I cannot commend enough to you the daily commitment to be in the scriptures, to protect you from the one who wants to destroy you. It's the most compelling moment in the life of Jesus. Says is fasting for 40 days and the devil coming and tempting him directly and him as the word of God, answering with the word of God. We must be prepared to answer the lies with the word of God or what are we? Dead. It's not only pre- protects us It prepares us for fruitfulness and usefulness. It protects and it prepares. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See, all that's simply saying is this. If I'm not sure how to be a husband, go to the scriptures. If I'm not sure how to be a father, go to the scriptures. If I'm not sure how to be a good employer, go to the scriptures. An employee, go to the scriptures. If I'm not sure how I should handle my finances, go to the scriptures. If I'm not sure what I should do within the local body, go to the scriptures. You, you get it? The scriptures will prepare you for all that God brings to your life. It will not only protect; it will prepare, and it will not only protect and prepare. The Word of God is the sword that does prevail over the kingdom of darkness. This, this really is that which will bring about light in to darkness. Now, but I don't want you to get the wrong picture here. We tend to think, ah, yes, it's the word of God by which I go to my neighbor and I whack him with it. (laughs) Now, the church has done that and it hasn't prevailed over darkness. It has confirmed this is why we don't want light. This is not For the beating up of people. How does it prevail? Let me show you how the scripture is the tool that prevails. First, it's the tool that prevails because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, the word of God is essential for faith to become present where faith was not. So we don't use it as a club to beat people up. We use it as the truth that helps people see their need for Jesus and that he is worthy of their trust. The word of God brings about faith. This is why we've been talking about this Discovery Bible study I know this is happening this morning, but if you could stay around for next hour, it would be awesome training for how the word of God used very simply. You don't have to be the expert on it. You allow the word of God to speak for itself. You know, it can do that. One of our commended missionaries was not a follower of Jesus, did not believe in God, did not believe in Jesus, got a Bible in a hotel room, started reading the scriptures, to see for himself what the Bible actually said, and by the time he finished, he got on his knees and placed faith in Jesus without a single conversation with another believer. Because the word of God brings faith. How does that? How's that work? Well, it exposes. It exposes our need. I'm guilty before God. Not everybody needs their guilt exposed, but some of us do. Some of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus will never become real until there's a recognition of need. And the word reveals need. The word reveals need much more than my life will reveal need. Because the word is perfect and I'm not. And the word reveals then Jesus alone can save. That my works will not be sufficient. There is not many paths to God the word exposes the need and then reveals that Jesus alone can save and the word then invites that all who admit their need and believe in Jesus can be saved for whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish that all whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, that God's desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. It exposes guilt, but reveals there is a way and invites all who will trust in Jesus. And then the word assures, if you have Jesus, you have life. We live in a gospel-confused world. People have heard a lot about God, a little bit about Jesus, but they've heard all sorts of ways. And the scripture simply says this. If you have the Son, you have life. And if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. How do I get the Son? <laughs> How do I get the Son? I admit that I need Him. I believe He's the only way. And I say yes to His invitation to come and trust in Him. If you have people in your life who don't know Jesus, Don't be afraid to allow the word of God to speak. You don't need to beat them up with it. Allow the word of God to speak, to reveal need, to reveal Jesus, and to reveal grace that invites all who will come. I want you to bow with me and as we bow together. Consider what what place the word has in your life. Do you see yourself as a soldier often going to war without it? It's easy to neglect. It's easy to give our attention to other things that won't protect and won't prepare. As a child of God, I invite you. Ask the Lord, Lord, make me hungry and thirsty for your word. Give yourself again to the simple but regular reading of the scriptures. Lord, thank you for the sword. Thank you for protecting, preparing for the privilege of being a part of you revealing your grace to others. We ask your blessing. and I ask your protection upon the body of Christ. And I ask, Lord, that your word would become priority in their lives for the sake of of their joy, and your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. If we could pray with you, there are always men and women available for prayer Out my left, your right, over north, out the back. We'd love to pray with you. God bless.